the sole reason to do this bid is to unlock shareholder value. If you value Dell Parent and you do this by taking the value of Dell Technologies and back out the publicly traded subs, notably VMware, but also SecureWorks, Dell Parent has a negative implied equity value. From remote offices in the New York tri-state area, welcome to No More, Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. This podcast offers conversations with our analysts to get their perspective and expertise on the global credit markets. If you're an investment professional that touches the wide universe of fixed income, you will want to give us a listen. We're living in a surreal life right now, but our team of nearly 100 analysts continues to publish content to more than 15,000 readers across global credit markets. I am Christopher Snow, the moderator, and I'm here with Jordan Chalfin, our senior tech analyst. Hi, Jordan. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. I'm really excited to be here. Well, we're here to talk about Dell. It's been in the news quite a bit. It's a large capital structure. Our listeners recall it's been just about seven years since Dell was LBO'd, uh, which at the time had negative credit implications. Since then, they've acquired EMC and with that control of VMware, they've had asset sales, tracking stocks, IPOs to protect you know, both the ambitions and the physical positioning. Apart from the tactical maneuvering, what do you make of the company's strategy? Yeah, so the primary owners here, and those being Michael Dell and Silver Lake, they're really smart and highly skilled and creative in terms of financial engineering. I think they're predominantly focused on maximizing shareholder value, but they've been really patient in the past and they've really had a focus on long-term value, which is one of the reasons why I find the, the latest rumors to be a little bit surprising. If we just we back up for a minute, high level, they bulked up with the acquisition of VMC and with that 81% ownership of VMware, which is the crown jewel of VMware, has double-digit revenue growth, strong margins, and free cash flow, but a really strategic asset for them. VMware's got over 90% revenue share in virtualization software. Dell has a really nice breadth of portfolio, number one player in servers, number one player in storage, and also a top three player in PCs. So a really good business. And HP actually split up into two companies a year prior to Dell bulking up. VMware has really differentiated Dell from other legacy hardware OEMs. And the company's benefited by cross-selling and financing across all its products. Customers generally like to consolidate their IT vendors and Dell's really become a one-stop shop. And so they really have, in my view, currently a winning hand. Well, Jordan, you mentioned the financial engineering, which has been a key part of getting them to where they are. When you think back, it was Dell, I think, was the smaller entity acquiring the bigger entity. Can you provide some examples of that financial engineering? Yeah, sure. Dell's acquisition of VMC in 2016 was a $67 billion deal. And they got it done with just a $4 billion equity check by the sponsors. They really called out all the stops here. This was a combination of term loans and a split cap structure. So IG secured bonds as well as high yield unsecured bonds. And then the really creative part of it was a tracking stock. Those are fairly unusual. It was intended to, to mimic the performance of VMware but it had no voting rights and it was issued by Dell. So it had some Dell credit risk as well. It was a really creative way to finance a large portion of that deal. Another example is the collapse of the tracking stock. So in 2018, Dell had a strategic review, not that dissimilar from what's going on right now. I will remind investors that the final outcome was slightly different than what was originally in the news reports. They extracted an $11 billion special dividend from VMware to help finance that transaction. And they took out that tracking stock while they paid a premium for it. They took it out for a pretty big discount of where VMware Common was trading. And so if you look at those two transactions combined, 
a lot of value accrued to Michael Dell and Silver Lake. Could you kind of fill us in where, you know, where does that relationship sit now between Dell and VMware? It's actually a really nice relationship for Dell. They've got 81% ownership of VMware and 97% of the voting rights. And Michael Dell is chairman of VMware. And so they have a lot of control over VMware, but there's some level of independence because 19% of VMware is floated publicly. VMware is an unrestricted subsidiary and there's no upstream guarantees. The rating agencies give Dell credit for 81% or 100% of EBITDA contribution from VMware, depending on the agency. So they are getting some beneficial treatment here and they do control VMware, but it's sort of a gray area. VMware has a special committee on its board that's comprised of independent directors and they would need to sign off on any deals with Dell Parent. The other thing I should mention is that because Dell owns over 80% of VMware, it's fully consolidated from a tax perspective. And this is really important. It means that any dividends that VMware pays is completely tax-free to Dell Parent. Well, Dell is now, again, at a crossroads. There's legitimate questions about unlocking value. They have a complicated structure. Can you walk through the dynamic of the Dell buyout of the VMware stub versus the spin out to shareholders? Yeah, absolutely. So there's been a couple of news reports on this over the past couple of weeks. As Dell seems to be undertaking yet another strategic review. The primary option that the company seems to be considering is a spin of its stake in VMware to Dell holders. Another option is potentially buying out this 19% stub, although news reports indicate that's a less desirable option. And we would agree that would be at least a $15 billion deal that would need to get financed. And Dell already has favorable treatment in terms of its VMware stake. And also, I don't think it does anything to address the undervalued equity in Dell Parent. So it seems like the more likely option is the spin. News reports have indicated the potential for a very large special dividend paid for by VMware. So VMware would essentially lever up, pay a dividend to Dell Parent, and Dell Parent would use those proceeds to pay down a significant amount of debt, which would help Dell maintain or possibly improve its credit rating. And the way this would work, because VMware is already publicly traded, the 19% that's floated currently, nothing changes there, but the Dell technology shareholders following a spin would hold shares in both Dell Technologies and VMware Common Stock. And VMware would be completely separate from the Dell structure. So I guess as you think through this probability of a spin, would VMware actually approve uh, this kind of transaction? You know, do they get a say in it? I think if Dell decided to go down that route, I think it would likely get approved. When I think about the current relationship, it's been a win-win. VMware has benefited by cross-selling and financing, and VMware's growth actually accelerated once Dell acquired EMC back in 2016. VMware hasn't been an independent entity in 17 years. So EMC acquired VMware back in 2003 for about $600 million. VMware is now worth $60 billion, so it's worth 100 times now more today than it was back then. And so you could argue that VMware might want its independence and it would approve a transaction. Also, when you think about the special dividend, those minority shareholders, they're still entitled to their pro rata portion of that dividend. So maybe levering up to pay a dividend is, is a bit unusual for a growth company like VMware but it's simply a return of capital to all the shareholders. So I do think that they would likely approve it if Dell decided to go down that path. So I guess what's the main argument for Dell doing the spin? And how about a buyout of that stub piece? 
Yeah, sure. You know, as mentioned before, I think strategically, it makes a lot of sense for the companies to stay together. To me, the sole reason to do this spin is to unlock shareholder value. If you value Dell Parent and you do this by taking the value of Dell Technologies, you back out the publicly traded subs, notably VMware, but also SecureWorks. Dell Parent has a negative implied equity value. Right now it's around negative 10 billion. It's, it's been in excess of negative 20 billion in the past. And the implied EV EBITDA is also really modest for the parent business. Right now it's around 4.2. And prior to the rumors, it was about three and a half. This is a really good business. The parent business should be trading six times. So you do a spin, the VMware valuation should be similar or might even improve because you don't have an overhang anymore related to the Dell ownership stake. But then post-spin, that Dell parent equity value, it can't be negative. And as you would expect, a re-rating of the multiple. And so it's really just about unlocking a shareholder value. I think shareholders are frustrated and impatient because that valuation disparity and that holding company discount has persisted for so long. I think personally, a better approach may be to wait, get that IG rating, and then focus on share buybacks to help close that valuation gap. But given COVID right now, the timetable is only getting pushed back further. And that upgrade to IG has always been a couple of years out. And so I think investors are just really impatient at this point. You know, that impatience speaks to the question about the status quo. What do you think about that option? And then I just maybe combine that with what's driving the strategic review now? They kind of went through a similar process not too long ago. Sure. I, look, I think status quo is a reasonable option. I think it has a higher probability than what most investors think. I, I get the frustration on the part of equity holders, given that negative implied equity value. But I think strategically, it makes a lot of sense to, to keep these companies together. So, And the other thing too, SPIC can't happen until September of 2021, right? Because Dell acquired BMC in September of 2016. And so you need to wait at least five years to do a tax-free spin. So a lot can, can happen over the next 14 months, right? And if Dell makes substantial progress in terms of debt reduction and the economy improves by then, they could be a little bit closer to achieving that IG rating. And then they can really shift gears to buybacks and close the valuation gap that way. In terms of why they're doing it now, I think, you know, approaching that five-year timeframe, September 2021, they have to go through the motions here. There's also a lot to figure out, right? How are these companies going to cross-sell together? How's the financing going to work? There's a lot of arrangements that, that need to get you know, put in place to figure out how these companies are going to work effectively with each other. The other thing, like I mentioned before, is COVID. And given pressure on EBITDA, pushes out the timetable for that potential upgrade. Keep in mind that when they acquired EMC, they had a goal to get IG ratings in two years. And it's several years later, and we're still at least two years away from a potential upgrade here. So I think there's a lot of frustration as that can gets kicked down the road. Yeah, we've seen that in a lot of names. So they commit to the investment grade rating and it always seems to be uh, at the end of the rainbow. You know, we've certainly seen some companies get there, but a lot of them take their time. I guess talk about the sort of the flip side of that. You know, what is the downgrade or fallen angel risk? Two of the agencies have Dell and VMware a negative outlook. They've obviously, you know, expended some effort to maintain access to the investment grade market for part of the capital structure. But what's the risk there? Yeah, sure. As you mentioned, there is some risk. S&P and Fish both have Dell and VMware on a negative outlook. VMware's ratings and outlooks are directly tied 
to the Dells controlling stake. VMware is a mid to low triple B rating company, but on a standalone basis, this would be a rated credit based on its you know current business profile and credit profile. So anything the agencies do to Dell, they do the exact same change to VMware. And so there is some fallen angel risk here, just given those negative outlooks. I do think Dell has been executing really well. So they've been gaining market share and they really have been paying down debt. And I think they really are committed to trying to get that IG rating. And so if there was a downgrade, I think it would be more directly related to the economic backdrop. Leverage is already high and if EBITDA and free cash flow are pressured, the company maybe can't pay down as much debt as they want and leverage shoots up. Leverage is already higher than Fitch's threshold. So Fitch would be kind of the biggest at-risk in S&P. They've actually got a little bit of room in terms of the leverage threshold. You know, on the flip side, this is a really, really large structure. And so some of the pressure from COVID is transitory and the company really is committed to paying down debt and achieving IG ratings. I'm not sure that the agencies are going to want to downgrade the company due to temporary pressures, you know, on the economy. So my base case is no downgrade, but I think the possibility is certainly there. If we take a step back in, in tech in general, you know, it's been less severely impacted than other sectors. So there's not really a whole lot of fallen angel risk in tech across the board. And liquidity is pretty strong in the sector, including Dell companies have really issued a, a ton of debt in the first half of this year. Yeah, I mean, a key part of that calculus is there is a really management commitment to, you know, to those IG corporate ratings as a target. You know, how long do you think that will take? You know, I guess assuming that a transaction does happen and then assuming if a transaction doesn't happen. Sure. If a transaction does happen, it really doubles the details. How much debt does the company pay down over the next 14 months prior to the transaction? Which I think they could do a decent amount, right? Because they've got some excess cash on the balance sheet. They've got a pending asset sell for $2 billion. And so they could do a large chunk of debt reduction over the next 14 months. But it really depends how large is that special dividend? How is the deal structured? They're losing their best asset here in terms of VMware. And so the ratings implications could be negative, neutral, or positive. I do think a ratings upgrade is a possibility. We ran through a hypothetical scenario in, our, in a report we published. And assuming an $18 billion special dividend, Dell can get leverage down to the high twos of gross leverage, excluding the financing business. Without a transaction, I think it's, it's, it's going to take at least a couple of years. We're going to see pretty big pressure on EBITDA over the next year, given the pressure on the economy from COVID. And so the, even while the company pays out debt, leverage is not going to change that much over the next year, just given expected pressure on EBITDA. But Dell, as we talked about, has a really large capital structure. So it's important to the debt markets. You know, that belies a fairly complicated underlying structure, you know, particularly for what it's crossover type of names. You know, I count five different tranches of debt in four different buckets across IG and high yield. That could be a headache to follow, but it does offer a menu of options for investors in the credit. Can you simplify the cap structure for us? And, you know, where do you like to be positioned? Yeah, sure. So it definitely is a, a complicated cap structure. There's some legacy debt at Dell Inc. That's really kind of a, a holding company. So w without much assets in there. And so that would be the most subordinated debt. There's also legacy debt at EMC. That's also structurally subordinated. To, to finance the, the, the Dell acquisition of EMC, we have debt both secured and unsecured. That's guaranteed by both Dell International and EMC. The secured bonds are first lien. It's a pretty extensive package, including tangible and intangible assets. 
and equity interests. And those bonds do have coupon steps. The interesting thing though, is if Dell does get upgraded corporate IG rating, that collateral falls away and they essentially be parity with the high yield unsecured bonds from those same buckets. VMware, in my opinion, that's the best business at the company. There's no upstream guarantees there. It's an unrestricted subsidiary. VMware is the safest place to be with or without a transaction. They have a $60 billion market cap versus just $6 billion worth of bonds. So there's a massive equity cushion there. They've had double digit top line growth for 12 consecutive quarters now. Really strong operating margins around 30%, generating free cash flow of roughly three and a half billion per year. And just a really dominant market share. And I've been really impressed with the company's, you know, innovation internally and, and also its M&A as well. And so that's where you want to be in the structure. It's, and even so thinking through like, you know, a potential transaction. So let's say in that example I cited earlier, where we assumed an $18 billion special dividend paid by VMware, but that would take leverage up to the high threes. But if it was truly viewed as a standalone company, VMware can easily support uh, high leverage. And so we'd be looking at a potential upgrade, in my opinion, even in that scenario. All right. Well, let's take a step outside the capital structure. Dell is a tech business. It's got old tech peers. It's also got some new tech players, which have had an increased presence in the debt capital market since the Great Recession. How do you position Dell in that context? Yeah, so it's, it's a good question. I'll kind of break it up a little bit into the different entities. Starting with VMware, they've really maintained their relevancy. So the company has seen a couple of pretty big threats. Most recently, it was the rise of the public cloud. Uh, so as more workloads, you know, moving to AWS and Azure and, and GCP, that's a threat to VMware's business, which has historically been on-premise. And so what they did was they, they partnered with those companies and they really embraced that threat and they offered VMware Cloud on AWS. So they're actually helping customers migrate to the public cloud, but they're using VMware tools to do it. And so I've been really impressed that they have not been protectionist and that they really embrace their threats. And something else that they've done is really embraced containers and specifically Kubernetes, which is kind of the next big threat. And they've done this via M&A as well as internal innovation. And they've really infused this into the core product offering. Dell, it's an interesting one, right? Because they're a legacy hardware OEM and they sell to on-premise environments. So the public cloud and the hyperscale companies, they don't buy hardware from the OEMs like a Dell or an HPE or NetApp. They're buying directly from Taiwanese OEMs. You know, this is white box equipment and they're just using their own software. Everything is internally designed. So the market that Dell is selling to, it's a flattish type of market. On-premise environment, it's not going away. Companies are adopting hybrid on private cloud. And because it's a flattish market they're selling to, market shares are the name of the game here. So I'd say Dell is uh, maintaining its relevance and outperforming other legacy hardware OEMs like an HPE or a NetApp, given its scale. And also VMware is a strategic differentiator for them. That's why I think, you know, spinning it off doesn't make a whole lot of strategic sense, because then how do you differentiate yourselves versus an HPE or an app? One other thing I should mention is the PC business, which is a pretty good business for them. The top three vendors have all gained market share over the past decade, but that should continue. This is a, a scale-driven business because you have benefits of purchasing power, distribution, marketing. 
All right. Thanks for that. You know, obviously COVID is a big topic for, you know, across the corporate landscape, you know, less so, as you mentioned, uh, in the tech space. And, you know, it seems like there's a lot of positives if I think about what my own and our company's purchases and strategies have been since mid-March. You know, could you put COVID in context here? Yeah, sure. So you're right. There have been some benefits. Companies have been purchasing laptops for employees. They've been work from home. You know, monitors is another one. Dell's actually the number one player in monitors. Even some of the VMware's businesses have benefited in terms of virtual desktop infrastructure and mobile device management. And so there's definitely been some tailwinds, you know, from COVID, but there's also been, I think more importantly, some headwinds. A lot of customers out there, whether they're SMBs or or enterprises are are struggling depending on the end market. And so companies are going to be cautious with their CapEx spending for things like storage arrays and, and servers. And so a lot of those purchases are going to get put on hold. And also companies might accelerate plans to shift to the public cloud. So none of that is good for Dell, but a lot of it will be transitory because you could run your data center at at higher utilizations, but that only lasts for so long. Eventually you need to modernize or increase capacity. There's a few other headwinds as well. We're coming off lows of memory prices, both DRAM and NAND. And so there's some higher input costs that will impact margins a little bit for Dell. And then also on the PC business over the past few years, there's been a Windows 10 refresh. That's mostly done. And so following the temporary COVID surge in purchases, that PC business could, could certainly see some weakness going forward. Well, Jordan, let me finish up with a personal question. You know, you're the tech analyst. So what was your best tech purchase for your home office over the last four months? I actually bought a 42-inch monitor from Dell. And I was a little nervous about it because I'm used to having two or three monitors and, and not a single screen, but it's been a game changer for me. The software that comes with it, Dell Display Manager, you could easily slice it into smaller boxes. And so in the morning, I have six boxes. And then in, in the afternoon, when I'm really working on stuff, I have three vertical boxes. And I love the new setup. I made a monitor purchase, probably not as ambitious. I supplemented it with some you know, noise-canceling headphones. It's actually been very important in this shift. Well, well, Jordan, thank you. Thank you for the, taking the time. I know it's been quite busy over the last couple of months here, and I really appreciate your sharing your thoughts on Dell. I really appreciate this opportunity. I love talking about Dell, and thanks for having me. Thank you, listeners, as well. As always, you can find our research on our website, creditsites.com, or if you're not a subscriber, please contact us at sales at creditsites.com. Credit size disclaimer. All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither Credit Sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information complained in this podcast. Credit Sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, is not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is Credit Sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. The receipt by the listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by Credit Sites or its affiliates.